being overweight. And so I got into the weight loss obesity field as well. And so now um, I realized with the uh, advent of these new weight loss drugs and the new migraine meds, how transformative they can be, how life-changing the meds, how transformative they can be, how life-changing they can be. And so that's when I started Dr. Brain RX, is, um, it, which is a telehealth platform. And I'm actually across 20 states um, being able to treat people online with these awesome meds, just making them more available. Honestly, I, I don't overcomplicate it. I don't see like seizure meds as a neurologist on that platform. I don't see a lot of complicated stuff. I see migraine, weight loss, and people with energy fatigue issues who uh, are perfect candidates for certain medications. And um, if they are, I see them, we prescribe the meds, and then I follow them every single month to talk about their lifestyle, how they're doing, and what we can do to alter their plan um, and make it more effective for them. So that's Dr. Brain RX, and um, I'm excited to be here to talk to you today. I mean, I love it. You know, I'm an advocate of I'm board certified in lifestyle medicine, and I love digital health, and I think telemedicine is 100% the future. So you're doing the crossroads of what I'm interested in. And myself, I actually suffer from migraines. So um, my first migraine was because of the teacher. So you're doing the crossroads of what I'm interested in. And myself, I actually suffer from migraines. So um, my first migraine was back when I was 14. And gosh, it's, it's debilitating. It's one of the worst feelings having one. And I guess, luckily, they kind of waned with age. And I think with some people, it do they do. And in puberty, sometimes hormones can be a trigger, right? So I'm glad you're doing something which is such a loss of productivity to the world. I think economically, if you look at companies, so many people lose days of work to migraines, right? Because right? you have the prodrome, you two, three days is just, because you have the prodrome, you two, three days is just canceled out. So well done for setting up a company which is so impactful for people with migraines, right? As well as obesity. And obesity is something which, you know, I've been delving into with Ozempic, uh, being a clinical lead for a company as well. So it's interesting, you're kind of tackling a lot of these lifestyle issues to do with obesity, but also being a headache specialist. So I want to first touch upon Ozempic GLP-1s, which are very hot in the news right now. So obviously we know crazy amounts of weight loss, like even in 12 months, people experience about 15% weight loss. And for those who don't know, I've been getting so many requests for people like, hey, can you get me Ozempic? Because it's out of stock in so many places. Like our clinic has literally people banging on the door, right? And, and and I mean, celebrities are using them these days to just lose that extra extra pounds. So I wanted to ask you, first of all, recent reports have come out about suicide. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because, I mean, they say Zempic has a mechanism of action in the brain, which can cause you to lose. They say Zempic has a mechanism of action in the brain, which can cause you to lose kind of yourself in terms of you're not addicted to things anymore, right? People stop smoking, they stop shopping, apart from just cravings for food. So could you tell us a bit more about the suicide elements to this? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head and you never uh, fail to surprise me with how smart you are in so many different areas. Amazing. And, and that's exactly, I, that's, that's where the theory is that the, the possible suicidality is coming from. We're not exactly is that the, the possible suicidality is coming from. We're not exactly sure. So first of all, really important to premise with the literature never actually showed an increased risk of suicide, suicide attempt or suicide rates. 
Um, and, and these meds actually go back to 2005, and never has there been an increased risk of suicidality with this Incretin drug class. That's number one. Number two, um, also, although there's been this report that's come out of the possible increase, the overwhelming response from patients when they come back is, oh my God, I lost so much weight. I have more confidence. I'm able to now seek relationships better, both friendships and romantic relationships. I'm feeling happier. That's the overwhelming response. So that's really important to remember. Are there cases where people may have some suicide risk or increased um, suicidal thoughts? Possibly, and you're right, it may have to do with the brain. So remember, and this is very with the brain. So remember, and this is very interesting. I've had patients actually, let, let me present this actually as interesting. I've had patients actually, let, let me present this actually as an anecdote. I've had a few patients where they come in two months after I, present, I prescribe the medication and I'm like, you started it. How's it going? Are you doing great on it? Well, doctor, I never started it. And I'm like, what? The medication that everyone wants, you haven't started yet. Are you kidding me? Why? And they're like, well, honestly, I'm afraid to say goodbye to food. And it's the craziest thing that people who have had an unhealthy relationship to food, what they do is unhealthy relationship to food. What they do is their reward system, their dopamine pathway of reward in the brain is is really focused on, I'm feeling down, I'm feeling depressed, let me eat something, have a quick release of dopamine, have my reward system be playing at, at a high, have that uh, reward feeling, and so addiction comes into that cycle, right? So food, dopamine, reward, more food, dopamine reward. And so what, what happens is, is if that has been your reward pathway for so long, and now you cut out the craving, right? You cut out the craving, you're no longer getting the reward and the dopamine release from food. And so it may be that that decrease in dopamine is making some people feel a little sad. While most people are feeling fantastic losing weight, some people may feel a little bit sad. It's a minority of people. It's not very common, but it can happen. It's a minority of people. It's not very common, but it can happen. Um, and so for those people, you know, there's all these different weight loss meds out there and they're getting better and better and better. The newer one that's going to be approved for the weight loss indication, Monjaro, Tirzepatite is a generic name, will be approved by the end of this year. And that one is the dual agonist, GIP and GLP. What's awesome about it is less side effects, right? But it's almost double the efficacy of Wegovia and Ozempic. By the way, remember, Wegovia and Ozempic. By the way, remember, Wegovia and Ozempic are the same drug. They're semaglutide. Monjaro is a different one. It's better, almost twice as effective, less risk of side effects. So if someone has that really epic, are the same drug, they're semaglutide. Monjaro is a different one. It's better, almost twice as effective, less risk of side effects. So if someone has that really high addiction to food and they're um that th they're really really reliant on that then i need to take that into account and so i may not start them on monjaro i may want to start them on something that's not as effective maybe wigovia or ozempic and i may be a little bit more hesitant to increase their dosage so with these meds you start really low and every month you increase until you get to the maximum dose so with these patients i may want to start them on a lower dose of a less effective drug 
and not increase them as rapidly so that I'm not playing so heavily these meds and why I'm prescribing them. But this is also why they may play a role in people having less craving for alcohol. People have been saying they don't want to smoke as much. They don't want to drink as much on these medications because that dopamine pathway and that reward system is being affected on these meds. It's fascinating and it's Awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It comes down to the brain end of the day. And that's the link of you being a board certified neurologist and expert in the brain. So people might think what's weight loss to do with the brain, right? And you've kind of like just yeah. explained it beautifully there. And it's interesting because people are like, I wonder if you could stay on Zempic or Manjaro for two years. Is there a number of, is there a timeline you think people should stay on to be safe? Do you think if they stay on it longer? Beautifully there. And it's interesting because people are like, I wonder if you could stay on Ozempic or Manjaro for two years. Is there a number of, is there a timeline you think people should stay on to be safe? Do you think if they stay on it longer, they may lose that pleasure of life? And that's what the worry is, I guess, with some of these articles. But we know fear mongering exists. You probably heard of aspartame and Diet Coke and the World Health Organization and people now being scared of cancer. They may lose that pleasure of life. And that's what the worry is, I guess, with some of these articles. But we know fear mongering exists. You probably heard of aspartame and diet coke and the world health organization and people now being scared of cancer causing but when you look into it it's a lot of different substances are classed in that 2b classification which doesn't really mean it causes cancer i mean plants can cause cancer so it's, it's very um specific so what are your thoughts on how long someone should stay on it because going into our main thing about celebrities and a lot of people ask me about this you know you hear about hollywood you hear about people in la getting you know Zempic or semaglutide or Manjaro on the black market, right? How it's acting is that you're, you're not having these cravings. So using it in that way, when, when you're already at a healthy BMI or you're trying to lose a lot of weight, 15, 20 pounds almost, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so number one, I agree with um, if you're already at a healthy BMI, which is defined as a BMI below 24.9, um, or and above uh, 19, I think it is, 19 24.5 or 24.9, then it, it's unreasonable to use these meds, okay? that It's not for that group of people. But 39%, then it, it's unreasonable to use these meds, okay? that It's not for that group of people. But 39% of Americans are overweight. You walk down the street, I know you don't live here right now, you might move your scent of Americans are overweight. You walk down the street, I know you don't live here right now, you might move here soon. But when you walk down the street in America, we're fat. That's what, it, we are an overweight nation. We eat processed foods, we eat the wrong type of foods, and we eat too much of it. It's, it's terrible. So a lot of people may be using this to lose 15 to 20 pounds, which is, in my opinion, reasonable if they are overweight. Now, the FDA-approved indication for Wegovy, which is the Ozempic version, it's Ozempic, but it's for the weight loss indication, right? The FDA-approved are still overweight, but they're not a BMI of 27. They may be a BMI of 26 or 20 five and a half, right? But guess what? The studies, the literature, the science tells us that even being 15 to 20 pounds overweight, even if you're not obese, your risk of heart attack, of stroke, remember, as a neurologist, why do I care about these meds? I'm a brain doctor. I've seen strokes and I've seen people be handicapped at a young age because they've been overweight. Their strokes could have been prevented. So your risk of 
heart attack, stroke, joint issues. So your risk of heart attack, stroke, joint issues like trouble walking back problems and a lot of other problems, including premature death, is significantly increased even if you're 15 to 20 pounds overweight. So someone comes in and they're like, doctor, I'm not really that overweight. Well, your issues like trouble walking back problems and a lot of other problems, including premature death, is significantly increased even if you're 15 to 20 pounds overweight. So someone comes in and they're like, doctor, I'm not really that overweight. Well, you're 15 to 20 pounds overweight and you have high blood pressure. If you lose the weight, you're probably going to be able to cure your blood pressure. So are these medications right for that group of people? Well, they're not FDA approved for them, but they may be right because some people have been 15 to 20 pounds overweight for years and years and they've done everything and they can't lose that 15 to 20 pounds. So maybe they do need a little extra boost with a boost with a GLP-1 agonist or a dual GLP GIP to help them lose a little bit of weight to get into the normal BMI. And that's important to remember. And I think what's going to happen with the future of, of obesity, I actually really believe this. I think that obesity is going to be cured. And I think that people who want to stay obese, that's it's going to be a personal decision. But I think that obesity will be cured and I think that weight loss for even overweight people is going to be attainable and more sustainable and more easily achieved with even just the overweight people who need to lose 20 pounds being able to use these medications at well at some point in the future. They're going to get better and better, more tolerable, and they'll be cheaper right now. They're so expensive. So even if you are a candidate for these meds, can't even get them right now. All with even just the overweight people who need to lose 50 to 20 pounds being able to use these medications at well at some point in the future. They're going to get better and better, more tolerable, and they'll be cheaper right now. They're so expensive. So even if you are a candidate for these meds, can't even get them right now. All the pharmacies are out. They're out. You can't, all the pharmacies are out. They're out. You can't get them because everybody wants them. Everybody wants them, and it's not because the celebrities are stealing them. Believe me. The, the medications are over $1,000 a month. Yeah. The patients who shouldn't be on them, who are on them, who are paying over $1,000 a month, that's a small minority of people. People don't have $1,000 plus a month to be spending on a medication. So that's not the people that are taking them, that are taking them from the pharmacies. The people that are taking them from the pharmacies and making the pharmacies empty are the people who actually need them. Remember, 39% of Americans are overweight. We need these meds. We need risk of death. They're important. Um, but anyways, I think that I think there'll be a lot more um, available because the drug companies are going to start to fight. They're going to start to want to have better and better meds. I don't know if you heard about the triple agonist, yes. right? So Monjaro is going to be approved by the end of the year and then probably by 25, 26, year 20, 25, 2026. The triple agonist, GLP, GIP, and Bucagarm are going to be out. And the weight loss is going to be even better with that. They're going to continue to come out with better and better meds where people have less side effects, less of the nausea, less of the constipation and diarrhea, um, but then they just lose more weight. So the better with that, they're going to continue to come out with better and better meds where people have less side effects, less of the nausea, less of the constipation and diarrhea, um, but then they just lose more weight. So these are going to get better. I think obesity is going to be a thing of the past and these are going to get better. I think obesity is going to be a thing of the past and I think that it's going to be much more available to us because of the competition between drug companies.
I mean, that's insane. And you're right, obesity is the single biggest problem we have right now. And lifestyle takes such a long time. And, and being a lifestyle advocate myself, people often ask me, why am I promoting, say, Zempic or Samagrutide or other GLP-1s? And it's just that the magnitude of that weight loss is so beneficial to you, like you described, with all your cardiovascular risk factors, metabolically, even things like sleep apnea, right? Increasing weight causes things like sleep apnea. You can't sleep well. Um, your ghrelin leptin is dysregulated, right? So you just have so many th- osteoarthritis. Um, your day-to-day level of happiness is just decreased. Then we get into self-image. So there's so much... Um, kind of consequences of being overweight or obese that the fact that this can do it so quickly, it can improve so many health metrics. And you've explained it so well. And my question would be is that now I think obesity probably could be solved, like you've said. Um, Do you think we'll have a time where uh, people are kind of cycling on and off? Because I've heard when people come off the medications, they gain a lot of the weight. So what are your thoughts? You have to establish these habits well, because I've heard when people come off the medications, they gain a lot of the weight. So what are your thoughts? You have to establish these habits whilst you're on it, or should you like, when you come off it, recycle back onto it? What are your thoughts on that before we move on to the brain and some of the other topics? You're on it, or should you like, when you come off it, recycle back onto it? What are your thoughts on that before we move on to the brain and some of the other topics? Yeah, I I do think that these, for many people, so it, it depends, okay, um, for people who have been overweight all their lives, like they've been chubby as a child, and then they were overweight in their 20s, and then they went into full-blown obesity in their 30s, 40s, I think that those people, their genetics are now... Um, they are changed into their, their fat cells and their hormones are regulated in a certain way that without this drug class, they will go again, increasing your risk of heart attack, stroke, death, pain, depression, a lot of other problems, right? So, okay. Yeah. I mean, maybe some people might be able to get off the medication and keep the weight off. But the reality is, and the studies do show, that people will gain weight back. And, and, and by the way, there, there are some misleading facts that came out and people were saying that you're going to gain more weight than you <laughs> did uh, off of the medication. That, that's not what the studies show. The studies show that you will gain so that you will gain some weight back off the medication. Not always, not everyone, but the majority of people will gain some of their weight back, but not all of the weight. Everybody's different, okay? Who knows? I don't know how your body's going to respond. But... Um, uh, my mother-in-law is a perfect example. I encouraged her to get on this drug class, and she did some weight back off the medication. Not always, not everyone, but the majority of people will gain some of their weight back, but not all of the weight. Everybody's different, okay? Who knows? I don't know how your body's going to respond. But um, uh, my mother-in-law is a perfect example. I encouraged her to get on this drug class, and she did. She's she's lost for the she's she's lost for the first time in her life after being years and years and years overweight. She lost like 40, 50 pounds. It's crazy. Oh, it's incredible. But her mom, she, she was on Monjaro. She's, she's a diabetic as well. She couldn't get the medication. So for two weeks, she was off. She gained a five, 10 pounds back so quickly, so quickly. Um, and it's because that's her, she's, she's going to need to be on it for the rest of her life. And that's fine. She's accepted that. This is a lifelong medication for her. Drop 30, 40 pounds, right? Like the overweight category may be able to keep it off a little bit better than the obese category. And this is just a theory. And this is just what I've seen in practice. 
is that people who have who don't have that much weight to lose after about a year or two of being on this medication class, what happens is they they understand the portions that they need to eat, and their body gets used to eating that way. And out, off of the medication, they're able to sustain that habit and that dietary pattern. It's sort of like I switched maybe five, maybe even six years ago to intermittent fasting, and I fast for like 18 hours a day, right? And my body now is so used to that dietary pattern. It's sort of like I switched maybe five, maybe even six years ago to intermittent fasting, and I fast for like 18 hours a day, right? And my body now is so used to doing that. I understand my my uh, my gastric emptying it has adjusted to doing that i understand my my uh, my gastric emptying it has adjusted in a certain way my um uh, my my hormone levels right um both from a cerebral standpoint and a gut standpoint um are are adjusted in such a way that i have to fast now right and so i think that that is sort of what will happen um, with that overweight category as well. Again, everyone's different. This is just a theory and this is what I've seen anecdotally in practice, but, but I think time will tell. And I think that studies will come on to, to look at that, that, uh, exactly what the clinical significance is in that, um, in those two different categories as well. I mean, I've seen similar and I would agree. And that's why I think companies like Noom, they launched new med, right? With an obesity physician. Even Omada Health, a big tech company, they're now looking at behavioral health programs for GLP ones. I think everyone knows they're here to stay because, as you said, the impact is incredible. It's anything we've seen before, right? They've been around for a while now. It's got all the hype. Everyone's trying to get it, and I think yeah, time will tell. But I think definitely to step in, in in the right direction. And just talking about the food environment in the U.S. versus the U.K., your sizes are big. I ordered like a medium, like I think it was a it was a drink, and the like a medium. Like, I think it was, a, it was a drink, and the size was the size of my head. And you walk into Kroger or, or, or you know, Walmart or whatever, you see these, the sizes of your packets are just so, so big. So I think <laughs> you need something fighting, <laughs> fighting all this macro environment that's so obesogenic almost, right? You're pushed to be sedentary at work. And so, and so, right? Yeah, and you're right. And that's where, that's where the lifestyle people come in and say, we just need to change our portions. We need to change what we eat. And you're right, we do. But how long have we been saying that? Long. And how long have people been failing? Yeah, no matter how much you preach, 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 let's change the quantities, let's change what we eat. You're absolutely right, we do have to do that. But people are still gonna remain overweight until we start to use these medications more. It's, it's fact, we've seen it. We've been preaching less food, less calories, different types of food for years and years and years, and our obesity rate has just increased and increased. Nothing's changed. Obesity rate has just increased and increased. Nothing's changed. And that's human behavior, right? Humans inherently don't want to drive that change. It's super hard for most people, that discipline, right? There's very few who can do that. So that's why we need something to help us along the way. And GLP... One is GLP is something we produce naturally in the body anyway. This is kind of a synthetic version of that. So anyway, I want to move on to more, onto a few other topics that are pretty hot. Uh, one being ADHD. Um, so working in tech, I hear a lot in Silicon Valley and even schools like Harvard. Working in tech, I hear a lot in Silicon Valley and even schools like Harvard and Stanford. A lot of these drugs, modafinil, um, we call 
Uh, in Stanford, a lot of these drugs, modafinil, um, we call it Adderall as well, um, they're used kind of to enhance cognitive function and for better performance, concentration. I would love to know kind of some of the difference and nuances between these and some of maybe the, the dangers of this. What are your thoughts on this, this topic where we're seeing more and more students and even top, I call them cognitive athletes, corporate workers, entrepreneurs using these kind of things? Yeah, so it's interesting. Every case is different, and I think that some people misuse these drugs for sure, um, and that's when you run into trouble. I, in my practice, had been had been seeing a lot of people use this drug class as a performance enhancer, um, and uh, a lot of people I was I was noticing were having insomnia. They were using Adderall or Ritalin, right, or like Concerta. Yeah as a performance enhancer to try to either work longer hours or enhancer to try to either work longer hours or be more productive during work or be, or make more money, right? Like everyone wants to be better. They want to get better grades, make more money. Um, and, uh, and I was noticing that they were having either insomnia or some people were developing subhypomania or full blown mania. And so my thought on this is, listen, if you're the right candidate for Ritalin or Adderall, then, Great. If you truly have ADHD, use it. But if you don't truly have that diagnosis, don't abuse it. But if you don't truly have that diagnosis, don't abuse it. That's it. There have been, though, in my practice, a lot of people who I've seen with long COVID who have chronic fatigue as a result. Like they're just super fatigued for like a year, two years after. They cannot focus, they cannot get through their day. Um, and so for them, I started thinking, God, what am I going to do for them? What am I going to give them? I don't want to give them Ritalin or Adderall because they're not the right candidate and I don't really know if it's going to help that much, although sometimes it may. Um, but I started I started exploring modafinil as a treatment for them and so did a lot of other neurologists off-label. Modafinil is a non-stimulant stimulant. Like it helps, it was actually initially designed for like military personnel to stay up longer for pilots and a lot of truck drivers were using it because of work shift sleep disorder, right? Like they would have to work during the night, sleep during the day, and they were exhausted. They couldn't stay up or they'd have to stay up really long hours. So modafinil helps people stay up really long hours, but it's not a stimulant because it works on, um, it, work, it works on dopamine long hours, but it's not a stimulant because it works on um, it work it works on dopamine pathway. We're not exactly sure how, but it doesn't work on uh, the norepinephrine. It doesn't get broken down into amphetamine salts in the way that the ADHD drugs usually do, and so you don't have the um, the high right. So like a lot with the with the ADHD drugs, if you're not supposed to be taking it, you're not truly an ADHD person you'll get a little high if you take it. You feel this like, you'll get a little high if you take it. You feel this like euphoric, amazing benefit, which is why some people gateway into cocaine. It happens with, with us, these people who abuse this drug class. But no, definitely you don't get that high. It just helps to keep you awake longer. And so for my long COVID patients who were struggling to stay awake during their workday, it was helping a lot. And they weren't having that euphoria, which would lead to addiction. And they weren't having that um, that uh, uh, anorexia effect because the, the stimulants can make you not want to eat at all. And they weren't feeling manic. So it was great for them. And so then I started asking people a lot more and more, like, what's your work like? 
And I realized that so many people after COVID were working from home, not just working from home, they were catching up on work when their kids were asleep. And so they were staying up wee into the hours at night and they had developed work shift sleep disorder. So work shift sleep disorder has, work shift sleep disorder has become dramatically underdiagnosed and people are exhausted and become dramatically underdiagnosed and people are exhausted as a result because they're not getting the treatment they need. And so modafinil has been really, really helpful at low doses for that class of patients as well. Um, so again, you've got to be the right candidate, uh, but it can be very helpful and so safe. It's a controlled substance, but it's uh, on a different schedule than, than the ADHD drugs. So it doesn't have to be managed and monitored, um, like those meds do, but much lower risk of side effects. Uh, and has just been really helpful for a lot of people. Some people take it if they've been on Adderall or Ritalin and honestly, they're like, mm, not for me. I like Adderall and Ritalin yeah. and they want to go back to their, their Adderall Ritalin. I'm like, okay, you're not for me. I can't help you. You can't help me. Um, but modafinil is great for those, those people that haven't been on those meds, don't like the effect of the stimulants, um, and need something to help their, their undiagnosed work shift sleep disorder and their chronic fatigue. That's super well explained. And Dr. Sarr, you're doing an amazing job of explaining these concepts that a lot of people are trying to Google, trying to figure out, should I be on this or not? I mean, you see a lot of coders in Silicon Valley, like coding away using these drugs. An extension of this, which we probably won't cover in this podcast, will be microdosing and psychedelics and their effects on the brain, which is a huge topic in itself. But a lot of people say caffeine is kind of a natural stimulant that we all use day to day to get a bit of cognitive enhancement. So I'm actually part of a, a company that's just launched out of London. And we're looking at entrepreneurs to prevent mental health and burnout. And I announced it yesterday. So we're looking how do we can optimize cognitive performance of, um, you know, entrepreneurs and, and corporate uh, employees as well. And obviously we're looking at the lifestyle stuff like sleep. We know that nutrition, exercise, uh, stress as well. We know how stress can really affect, you know, things like reaction times. Too much bad stress is bad for you, right? You need that right level. If it's too low, you're not cognitively challenged enough. If it's too high, your kind of brain starts to shut down. So I want to know from you, is there any kind of, what are your thoughts on kind of nootropics? Is it kind of all a bit of snake oil? Do they work? Is there any that you recommend as a brain doctor? Is it something that, you know, you've looked into personally? What are your thoughts on this? Because we see a lot of things like radiola, bacopa as well, some of these names. What are your thoughts? Lime yeah, Lime Mane, yes. yeah. Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan loves that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, the problem is, is that we just don't have the literature to support this stuff. And a lot of it really is just people saying that it works for them. And, and then, and then these nootropic companies making tons of money off of them. Um, and it's so, it's so hard to know. I will say that I have for a lot of people, um, who are struggling with just feeling sharp and alert. I've recommended magnesium L3 innate, which um, is a magnesium form that came out of MIT. It's more liposoluble, so it works inside the brain and can really be helpful for alertness, acuity. But you're right, good old-fashioned caffeine can have a great effect on productivity and feeling sharp and alert in memory retention, right? Just because of how it works at your adenosine receptors. I mean, 
it, it, it's, uh, and your nicotinic receptor, I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a, it, it can be a great natural nootropic, and so can a lot of other things. Um, I just, we just don't have a lot of data. A, a lot of this is anecdotal, and, um, but I, I, I've seen people come into me with, uh, with all sorts of muscle inflammation and kidney issues when they use these medications in excess or incorrectly. Not, not medications, I'm sorry, nootropics in excess or um, incorrectly. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not like a huge nootropic uh, person. I love the MAG because it's well studied and it's safe. Um, but everything else out there, I, I think honestly more than anything, I think that the microdosing psychedelics is going to be better studied and maybe even safer than a lot of the nootropics in the near future, especially the, the psilocybin and mushrooms. But I guess we'll have <laughs> I to think see. I would agree with you. I think, I think you've, uh, cause I think a lot of people haven't done clinical studies. I know Huberman's a fan of a few things. Joe Rogan unscientifically talks about a lot of them. <laughs> Sometimes he has scientists. It's funny cause on Clubhouse I did a, I remember I did a session with David Sinclair from Harvard and he talks more about longevity. You know, he's big on supplements. I think he takes quite a few and, and my, experience always being that apart from like vitamin d maybe omega three a few others a lot of supplements we just pee out right it's expensive pee so it's interesting to see how some of these things can become more efficacious in the future but i think you're right i think evidence base is pretty slim right now and 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 on that i know louisa likes um one of our neuroscientist friends louisa she she thinks creatine and i think there are studies on that like creatine can be good for the brain is that something you've heard as well obviously i take it for like when i go to work out at the gym because i feel like i can lift heavier and that's quite evidence-based creatine being the most kind of evidence-based product for people working on the gym looking to gain muscle but with, with the brain have you heard similar yeah yeah creatine made a comeback right um it, it was so vilified for a while and people were so scared of kidney damage but yes I think creatine, the evidence for creatine is great in terms of helping with cognitive function, not only, but also with muscle support. And I, I think there's more and more awareness that we're all under muscles. Going back to the weight loss topic, yeah. like, you know, right? Like losing muscle can be a huge thing and you can support the muscle with protein and creatine. But yes, from a neuro standpoint, neurocognitive standpoint, creatine has been shown to actually have some um, literature supporting that, that it can be helpful for that as well. Um, none of these are going to be large, double-blinded, placebo-controlled trials, mostly because they're not funded by drug companies. Exactly. You know, <laughs> money makes the world go round. And so there may be some of these awesome supplements that actually really do help, but they're never going to be fully supported by large um, academic institutions and um, committees like the American uh, uh, Academy of Neurology that I'm part of because of the fact that they're not studied in that way. And, you know, I don't know if they ever will be. Yeah, and I would say first, if you're not sleeping well and doing the basics, why are you taking extra things to get the 1% when you're not doing the main things? Because we know if you're sleep deprived, you don't function well cognitively. We know hippocampus volume is bigger for people who sleep seven to eight hours, who eat, you know, a healthy diet with a lot plant-based diet, who exercise 30 minutes a day. So if you're not doing those things, what's the point? And with that, I want to ask you about a bit about tech. And how do you feel as a neurologist, a brain expert, when you hear people like Elon Musk start talking about 
implanting chips and AI into the brain. And obviously you understand how the brain works and you're an expert in knowing neural connections and how that works. Do you feel that's something that's viable? Do you feel he has neurosurgeons as part of his team? I know that. Is that something you're excited about or you're a bit skeptical about? I'm skeptical just because I think that the, some of the claims of those chips are so far reaching. Um, the implication that at some point you'll be able to think something and then put it into action simply by a thought. Um, I don't think the technology is even close to being there. So again, I think that the, the claims are so far reaching. I think that, um, that, that it's a lot more attainable for the class of people who may have had some limb that's no longer working like from a stroke or from paralysis, some sort of hemiplegia and they are trying to gain strength um, and motor control from the brain using an implantable chip, that's a lot more uh, attainable and closer in the technology. And so I think that's great. It's awesome. I'm all for it. Um, but I think that we're a little farther away than people think we are from actually getting there and implementing that into real life practice. Sarah, the weirdest thing I saw was about a month ago, I was talking to this kid. He's like 22-year-old tech guy in Silicon Valley. And he controlled a car by solving maths puzzles from his mind. So he was solving them and the car would move. So I, I don't know the exact technology they used, but I'm guessing they were bypassing the vocal system somehow. I don't know. I didn't investigate further, but it's, it's kind of weird. But I think I agree with you. I think in people with debilitation or some type of limb loss, it makes a lot of sense, right? Motor control, we know what happens. But I think, yeah, some of those claims, I think, are very difficult to validate. And I know Elon's going to try human trials, I think, start next year. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think the brain is super complicated and it's hard for us to kind of, we can mimic it with AI. I mean, you see the chatbots. Have you heard of these, these, these AI girlfriends and boyfriends, people falling in love because it mimics, but it's not a real person. And I know they're thinking about machines becoming sentient, but I think the brain is just too complicated. I mean, even you as a neurologist probably don't understand the depths of, of the brain, how it functions, the physiology, because we have new research every day. Like, for example, going into migraines, I've heard so many theories of why migraines occur that I still don't know. And I know there's so many treatments coming out. So I would love for you to kind of touch upon that, but also on migraines. What are you seeing in terms of treatments? Because a lot of my friends do suffer from them. I get those visual hallucinations where, you know, I start getting lines and I can't see and then like my day is gone. So, so what are you seeing in terms of treatments there? First of all, I cannot believe that I have talked to you so many times, even though there's been a lapse in me talking to you since the clubhouse days. And I never knew that you had migraine with visual auras. Are you crazy? You should have come and talked to me. I have the best treatments available for you. I know. I'm super cool. Um, I'm doing it. I had a migraine last week. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. I'm going to hit you yeah. up after this. <laughs> so you really need to. So, um, so okay. Pre-2018, so, hey, we had the worst medications out there yeah. for people. They were blood pressure meds, seizure meds, antidepressants that we repurposed to treat migraines. And people, we would we would hand them out like candy and we'd say, hey, here you go. This should work for you. Maybe, maybe not. 
come back and they'd be like, hey, whatever you gave me made me feel dizzy, made me gain weight, made me lose too much weight, made my hair fall out. You're telling me I can't get pregnant on this because it's going to cause fetal malformations. Like all kinds of terrible, crazy issues. Um, and it would cause, a lot of them cause brain fog and fatigue. Awful. After 2018, we had this new class of meds that came out called CGRP maps, calcitonin gene-related peptide monoclonal antibodies. They are crazy effective, but also because they only work on a specific molecule, the CGRP molecule, they block it. CGRP is nasty. You don't want CGRP. CGRP causes migraines. And so by blocking this CGRP molecule, either the molecule itself or the receptor that it works on, these patients come back after a few months and they're like, are you kidding me? I don't even remember what it's like to have a migraine anymore. And I'm like, hallelujah. It's incredible. The whole migraine game was revolutionized post-2018, which is why it, during COVID, I started seeing patients a lot virtually, right? This is all like when virtual care really started to, to become popular. And they'd come back to me and I'd be like, hey, I haven't seen you in a year or two years after COVID. And I'd be like, what happened? They'd be like, well... I didn't need you. I'm still on my meds. I'm doing great. And I'm like, hey, you know, your insurance has still got to prove the medication. You still have to follow up with me from time <laughs> to time. But people don't need me anymore Insane. as a migraine specialist as much. I mean, they still need me. They still need yeah, me. I'm was... still in business. Don't worry about <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm still okay in terms of my career. You still have migraines. But they really don't need to see me. Yeah, they still don't need to see me as much because um, – the, my, the medications are just so effective and I feel so bad when they come to me and they're like, doctor, I had no idea that that medication was available, that it was an option, or I did know, and it's over a thousand dollars a month and I couldn't afford it. And I'm like, well, that's because you didn't go through <clears throat> the, the steps that you have to go through to get it approved by insurance. And as a migraine specialist, that's what I do. My job is let's get it approved by insurance. Let's get it covered so that you can live your life without having migraines frequent you every day, every other day, keeping you home from work, <laughs> um, not being able to, to go to an event, yeah, right? So these meds are awesome. They've changed the game. They're so effective. And um, uh, you, you do need a good migraine specialist to help I, with. I think I'm going to be your next, I think I'm going to be your next patient. I think in the UK we're behind because, um, I mean, my migraines aren't that bad, they're sporadic, but I had one probably six or seven years ago, which was like a hemiplegic migraine where it felt like a stroke. And I went into hospital and they were confused. They thought it was like a TIA or something. And it wasn't. And it was a migraine. I've never had that again. But my speech was a bit slurred as well. And I know migraines do increase your chance of stroke. So getting it treated is super important. And it's something you worry about. You know, sunlight you worry about. You worry about disrupting your sleep pattern, tryptophan foods you know, cheese, except this is so many risk factors that it's so difficult to control. So I'm kind of relieved that these new medications post 2018, that even I'll be honest, like I've been slacking, I'm unaware of because my migraines aren't that frequent that, that I've had to, you know, I, I assume a trip down, it goes away now uh, with with age, they've got better. But I think if I got it treated, it'd be amazing. So, so you've earned yourself a, a new physician patient, <laughs> which, which would be awesome if I moved to California. <laughs> yeah, so hemiplegic migraine though, the, the tryptin med class actually may be relatively contraindicated. Okay. Um, you should be aware of that because it can increase your risk of stroke because of the vasoconstriction. Mm. So <clears throat> for those patients, we use the short-acting version of the CGRP map as a rescue drug to help break the migraine. 
whether or not you're having a hemiplegic migraine or not. Okay, that's really because the, the doctor in the hospital gave me that. It was I was I was still a med student at the time actually. I think when I had it, um, but um, that's actually. Um, I mean, I'm going to definitely hit you up on that. Sarah, thank you for sharing so much knowledge about the brain. We've covered weight loss, covered all these hot topics, and I feel like I could talk to you forever because you, you present yourself so well and you have this endless knowledge. I'm, I'm a bit annoyed we haven't done this earlier. I've been super busy. I know you've been busy, um, but we have to definitely do a follow-up podcast after this. And I think some of these clips will be strong. A lot of people hit me up with a lot of the questions you've answered. And because you are board certified neurology, you know the nuances, which a lot of people you see now, wellness influencers, they don't have that knowledge, right? They'll just be saying the same cliche popular things, but you've broken it down in a way that I think people understand and it hits home and they can be confident that they can either maybe get a consultation with you or follow that advice. So if people do want to have a consultation with you, what's the best way? Where can they follow you? How can they sign up to your new company? Yeah, it's super easy. Dr. www. Dr. Hello. www. <laughs> I can talk to you way too much today. I know. So the, the website that the website that you want to yeah. visit to sign up for a consultation, you have to first see if you're a candidate for treatment on the website, but it's very easy. You go to www.drbrainrx.com. And you click on the treatment that you're interested in. You'll answer a series of questions. And if you're a good candidate, you can sign up for a consultation. Perfect. Easy. And where can people follow you on socials as well? I know you've got a good Instagram account. Um, I actually love your videos you've been posting recently. Very nicely put together as well. Thank you. Well, once my office gets done, which I'm I'm working on, you can see it's under construction. (laughs) I'll have some better videos. But on social, I I have two accounts. Um... Can you hear me still? <laughs> yeah. yeah, perfect. I'll just cut that part out. It's fine. Resume. <laughs> yeah. So for social, I have uh, two accounts. You can follow probably just Dr. Brain SD. And if you really want, you can follow my second account, but follow that one. That the second one's fun. You have a lot of fun, like Persian parties going on as well. <laughs> Quite the social life. That, that is my Persian party one. That's my fun one. <laughs> Follow both. I'd follow both. <laughs> it's good. Doctors that have yeah. fun, right? You, we need doctors who are more, um, I guess, show that they're like, you know, live life as well. And also that they're relatable, right? <laughs> because. But let me tell you something. This is the thing. It's like, I honestly, I'm telling you, this is the honest truth. I'm Persian. I was pushed into being a doctor. So happy now that I did it. But I could have very well also just gone into be, being like a beauty blogger. And some days I'm like, I want to be a beauty blogger today. I'm a normal girl. I like to party. I love to do my makeup. I love to do my hair. I have two kids. I'm just a really normal person that happens to be a brain doctor. Being a brain doctor is not my identity. I think I actually have so many more identities that are very human above being a brain doctor, but I'm also a brain doctor that can teach you a little bit about brain health and help you. But I'm just a girl, you know, that likes to live life and have a good time. I mean, being a brain doctor can be intimidating to a lot of people. People always say, you know, it's seen as even in medicine, cardio and neuro is seen as the highest, right? Just prestige wise. So it's glad I'm glad you're doing it in that way. I mean, my, my Instagram has been wedding content for the last year. <laughs> like I went from super hard clubhouse um, super like nerdy type of stuff to just wedding content for a whole year. And I think people have probably people love they engaged it. with me more on my wedding content than when I'm telling them science. 
which is the funny thing because I'm like, have I wasted all that time trying to be, you know, a board certified lifestyle medicine doctor? But um, no, this has been a lot of fun, Sarah. And we we need to do this again, and hopefully I'll see you soon in California as well. And I just think um, yeah. a lot of people should follow you because I think um, you bring a lot of education, especially with your your recent videos that you've been doing. I really think they're going to really blow up because I think they're some of the highest quality that I've seen. And that's what we're talking about. I think TikTok is somewhere that you need to be. I'm trying to get more on TikTok as well because I think really that disseminates information. The, the fact you go viral on a video is just insane right now. So thank you for coming on the podcast. This has been a lot of fun after a long time. And I hope to stay in contact with you as a patient, but also a colleague and your follow-up podcast. So thanks for coming on, Sarah. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Take care. Okay. Bye. Stop there. I'll cut it there. So. <laughs>